the Bible is a fascinating book because I do know this. There is a God, and he gets involved in it when you'll look at it. And so in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before uh, Jesus ever came and died and rose again or walked the earth, you know, there are things that are written that are fascinating because God is God. Whether people like that or not, God is God, and he sees stuff long before you ever see it. That's why I think people are so fascinated with like the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel and certain parts in the Bible that talk about how the end will be because he foresees it and he had people pen it, put it down so we could read about it. And people have been trying to figure it out since it's been written. But that's not the only thing that was written down before it ever happens. Before Jesus came, there was stuff written about him. And so in Isaiah 53, we're going to read uh, three verses right here. In the fourth, fifth, and sixth verse, it says, Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6, these were verses long before Jesus ever came, and it tells what he would do. Now, there are some that are real specific that talk about how he would suffer, how he would die, what would happen to him. I mean, you know, right now on TV or, you know, different things, you know, you have all the, the Jesus movies and the, you know, the he died and rose again movies, you know, coming up to, to Easter, you know, or this Sunday, what people call Easter. And, um, you know, recently, well, the newer one was Mel Gibson, or big time movie, and he made that Passion of the Christ. And I remember watching that and thinking, you know, this is okay, but it's not really altogether biblical. At least I thought it was. Well, he did die and rise from the dead. But there were things in there I thought, this is, you know, what not, you know, people are all like, wow, it was so graphic. But if you really read the Bible, you know it's not graphic. Not at all. Because there are verses where it says he looked down and his bones looked back at him. He could see his own rib cage. And it talks about all these things that he suffered. And so it was really, his face was so disfigured, it said, you know, he was not recognizable. That, he was bloody. I mean, they just, they laid it on him big time. Because getting whipped and being crucified would be equivalent today to going to the electric chair. And then as soon as you're done with the electric chair, going to the gas chamber, because both of them were types of uh, capital punishment back then. So it was like he died or had two death sentences put on him. He was whipped and beaten, and then they crucified him. And so he was so marred, he was just tore apart. And they would do that. They would literally tear the flesh off of you through getting whipped. And so when he went through that, you know, they didn't show it. They showed a mild version. But what does all that stuff even mean? Long before, hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened, it was written. And here are some, not all, but some of the verses about it. Isaiah 54, or 53, 4 and 5 and 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs. Now, if you have a Bible that has a little number by the word grief, it, it'll have a little note in the margin 
and it'll say something like H-E-B, which is Hebrew, the language it was written in, or L-I-T, the literal meaning. And so what this is talking about is really what Jesus would do in the future. And I've said this before, when you watch a movie of Jesus dying or you picture him dying or, you know, you see a picture of him with three people on crosses, you know, up on a hill and him in the middle, uh, we look and look at a natural death, but there was way more happening than people recognize. Because Jesus said this about himself. He said, nobody takes my life from me. He said, I have to lay it down. And so he was laying down his life, and he didn't die for himself. He do- died for other people. He didn't just die for the people here this morning. He died for people that are not even alive yet, that will be alive. He died as a substitute for humanity. Well, what is it that he died for then as a substitute? You know what a substitute is, right? We had substitute teachers in school. That can be good or bad. But we had substitute teachers in school. What did that mean? They took the place of somebody else. And when he died, he didn't die for himself. He was a substitute. So when he did all these things the Bible talks about, he did it as a substitute. And who was he substituting for? Not your third grade teacher. He was substituting for every person. So he was taking their place for a purpose. Listen, there is not one person in the earth that he didn't substitute for. Whether you know it or not or experience it or not is another thing. But he substituted for everybody. He substituted for, there is not one person he didn't substitute for. So what did he substitute for? What was he doing? He was taking your place and my place, but what did I need? What did you need? What does humanity need? And he tells us in his substitution right here, Isaiah 54, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, or the literal word there is our pains. Look at that. Surely he has borne or carried our pains... He bore them and carried our sorrows, which literally means sicknesses. What people don't know is when Jesus died, he died for everything that a human would ever need. And so it says here, literally, he he bore our pains and carried our sicknesses, yet we esteemed him or considered him stricken or beaten and smitten by God and afflicted, but... He was wounded, or this happened, for our transgressions. Everywhere we miss the mark, he died for. For our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities or our sin. The chastisement, or you could say this is a word we don't use, the beatings for our peace were upon him, and by his stripes, in other words, when he was whipped, It wasn't just an accident that he was whipped. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years before that he was whipped as a substitute. And what was he substituting in that? It says, by his stripes, we were or we are healed. Then notice the next part. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
every single person is in the same place in life. They've all gone astray. Everybody went outside the boundaries of life of being good enough to walk with God on their own. They went outside the boundaries. Jesus is the only way. And it's good to tell people that. Because sometimes people say, well, I can climb the building my own way with my own ladder. But that's not true. He is the only way. And it said, we like sheep, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We went our own way. We did our own thing. And then it goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sins of us all. Every single person. See, before I was walking with the Lord, I had sin in my life that I just didn't control and didn't know how. After I received him, what I received and what somebody receives and they don't realize is they actually receive a substitute. They receive somebody that has done something for them individually. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I was actually receiving what he did. And when he did his work thousands of years ago, when I believed it and then accepted it, it became a personal living reality to me. And it changed everything in my life. Everything changed like you snap your fingers. As a matter of fact, it was so dramatic, I didn't tell anybody for days. I did. I, I literally thought, this is too good to be true. This won't last. This can't last. Because I had been high and then come down, you know, in the world. So I thought, this is just another high, one I've never experienced. And what was wild is, inwardly, I wasn't hurting. I wasn't hiding anything by getting drunk. When I would get drunk, I could remember people who delve into the things of the world know they're empty. The big thing is, is people want to celebrate them and have other people enter in because they're guilty and they, you know, guilt likes company. It's the truth. It's the truth. Guilt loves company. And, and I, but I remember there were times I'd meet people like at parties and things and they wouldn't be partying and they knew I was who I was. And I remember if I was alone with them, I'd say, don't do what I'm doing. It's, it, it's not fulfilling. But everybody else thought, woohoo, you know, let's do this. But I knew, everybody knows, if people are honest with themselves, when you get in your own room, when you get in your own car, when you get alone by yourself, you know where you're at. And I knew where I was at. And, uh, but the reality, how can we have the reality whether you're saved or not saved? Is there a way to experience the reality of whatever he bought and he paid for? That's huge. Is there a way to experience the reality of what he bought and paid for? Well, if, if it is a reality but you're not experiencing it, it's not a reality to you. 
it's not a reality to you. Doesn't mean it's not a reality. It's just, you know, because there are things that are a reality that we don't know about right now. Even in science, there are things that they'll discover in time and they'll go, oh, well, we don't believe this anymore because they found this thing and they say this is a reality. But there are realities that you don't know about. And that is a fact. And it would be good for us to come to the place that there are realities that, that maybe you could read about some of them in the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's real to you. But can it become real to you because it is real? I lived the way I lived, and uh, some of these things I read about them, knew, heard them, but they weren't real to me. But one day they became real to me. They've been real ever since. September 10th, 1985. 31 years, and they're still real. And they're more real than all that other stuff I did. And if people knew how to tap in, they could walk in what is really real. It is real. There is a reality beyond what people know. And here's the thing, as a Christian, people, and this is helpful, people give their life to the Lord, and they get saved, and Jesus becomes real to them. He is a reality to them. Maybe they knew of him before and believed in him, but then the reality becomes theirs. They have a personal experience with him. No matter what anybody says, it doesn't matter who makes fun of you, who says whatever, you know. And that's how I was. Here's what's wild. People even looked at me and said, you look different. I mean, as soon as they saw me after. But there... There is a reality to be known about Jesus, but here's the thing. As a Christian, there are other things that can become real to you. There's Christians who believe in Jesus, know He's real, He has become real because they received Him, but they still live in condemnation and guilt. But He paid for it. But you know that can be a reality of being free from guilt and condemnation? You know, there are Christians who've given their life to the Lord. They know He's real, but they're all bound up by sin. And do you know He paid for sin to set people free? So that which is written in that area can become a reality to you. Here's another one. People can come to church or spend time praying, and, you know, they're like, man, I could sense something there. I recognize something there. I know there's a presence there that is not other places. And they come back and experience it again. Hey, isn't it a reality if you get around where there's people smoking, you leave and that smoke is in your clothes even if you don't smoke? And there's a reality of it, but you have personally experienced it. You can leave here today and you will personally experience something and notice something in your life. But here's an interesting thing. Does God want that reality to be a reality on a regular basis? That where you would experience God on a regular basis. Does he want the reality of answered prayer? He, he did a work in the Bible. It explains that he did something so you could have answers to prayer. 
and not know you can't have that type answers. He did something for people to have answers. But do you know many believers don't have the reality in their life of answered prayer? And they pray and they don't get answers. But does that mean that everybody prays and doesn't get answers? No. What am I saying? There are things that are paid for that are true but have not become a personal reality even to believers. And they can. And I don't mean occasionally. I mean on a regular basis where things are a reality to you. That's the, that's the most awesome thing about Christianity is after I gave my life to the Lord, people would argue with me. Oh, God ain't real. He ain't this. He ain't that. Okay, say what you will. But you don't know. He is real. And I know him. And you can too. And I had some of those same people later on. I went to praying for him. And numbers of them now have given their life to the Lord and are as convinced as I am. And, are, and not only convinced, have had an experience and a reality. Can these things that he paid for become a reality in somebody's life? Can healing become a reality in somebody's life? Yes. Can peace of mind become a reality in somebody's mind? Yes. Can other things like freedom from sin and, and addiction, you know, if addiction is just part of the human process, you know, then why do people fight it and go to addiction centers and have people try to do it? The Lord has paid for things, and He has done something. He just wants it to be a reality in your life. I can go to a liquor store and have a picnic and I'll not be tempted to have one sip of alcohol. That became a reality on September 10th, 1985, from drinking three six-packs of beer a day to not having a sip since. Somebody said, you have great self-control. I don't even have a desire. Don't even have a desire. Somebody said, oh, well, I'll try that. No, it wasn't about trying it. It was a reality. It was a truth that became a personal reality. Is there stuff for the Christian? Does God want you to be able to have answers to your prayers on a regular basis as a Christian? You out there? I mean prayers that humanly possible cannot be answered or fixed or done by the manipulation of man, and then we claim that was God. I mean stuff that's beyond that. Absolutely. In other words, you know, sometimes things happen and, you know, people go, oh, that was God. And it was just a shifting around of stuff and not trying to say God wasn't in it. But I'm talking about prayers where you know, regardless of things got shifted around by man, that had to be God. He wants that in your life. I said, he wants that in your life. He wants that. Turn to 1 Peter. Did he pay for something? First, 
First Peter, back in the back towards the back of your Bible, this is a guy who traveled with Jesus in his ministry, experienced things, saw things with his own eyes, saw Jesus nailed to a cross. He saw all the miracles Jesus performed. He was actually invited in to see things. And this guy wrote some stuff, and he actually wrote what Isaiah spoke about occurring. Notice this in 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He paid for something already. How can you get that that he paid for to become real in your life? That is a good question. Because, you know, there are people who have come to find the Lord... And then they've prayed and prayed and prayed. And then when it didn't work, they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed some more. And then when it didn't work, they said, I believe in prayer. And they prayed and prayed and prayed some more and never saw anything happen. And, but they knew that there is a truth in there, but they didn't know how to get that truth out of the book into their own life. So they heard that prayer is good, and they, they heard people say, I believe in prayer, and I believe in prayer, but prayer is not the only thing. Prayer alone will never get you an answer. That's exciting. But what about all those fancy sayings? You know, we believe in prayer, you know. Everybody pray. If you're a Christian, pray. I'm not saying prayer is wrong, but it takes more than just prayer. Because there's religions all over the world where people are spending time praying and nothing's happening. But does God want things that are true to become a reality? Is it true that Jesus paid for whatever you need in life? That's the truth. The other side is, is it a reality? And is there something that I can do and you can do to make what is true a reality in our life as a Christian? So when we pray, we get answers. Yeah, there is. Let me ask you this. How many of you have muscles? Raise your hand if you have muscles. Most people do. Some people don't. No. We all have muscles. At least I believe so. But we all have muscles, but the issue is, what have you done with them? And is there something you can do with muscles that would then, if you worked them enough, that maybe there was a big rock here that you couldn't move before, 
and then you got strong enough, you could take and move that thing. Is there something you could do to make a rock move that you couldn't move it on your own before? You could use tools, but if you had strength and developed strength, you could pick up a rock and move it. Nobody agrees with that. But that's the truth. So a person can give their life to the Lord, but not be strong. And you know the Bible commands us to be strong in the Lord? As a matter of fact, it's God's goal that every Christian gets strong. His goal for your life is to get you strong so when you pray and do certain things, you can get answers to your own prayers. That's his goal. If, if something comes against a person, what if a bully comes against you? Somebody said, they're going to get one right in the face. But have you ever heard the stories when somebody was not real strong and they got bullied and then they grew and then they grew and then one day when the bully came, that was the end of the bully bullying them? And they displaced that bully? Well, the question is, have Christians been bullied by things? And do they always have to be? No. But can you get strong so that one day when the bully comes, you say no, and that bully leaves? Somebody said, well, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about, a bully? People get bullied by all kinds of things. There's people who live under a cloud. Christians live under a cloud of guilt all the time. Or they're bullied by sin, and, and it, it controls them. They don't control things. Can you get strong to where you're not bullied anymore? In the sense where you do the bullying, so to speak. You know, James said it this way. Submit to God, resist the devil, and then God will make him leave from you. No? He said, you submit to God, you resist the devil, and then he would flee from little old you. I added little old. But he said he'd flee from you. Some people live under a cloud of deception because they have never stood up against it. Or they started, but the thing kept bullying them, and they didn't know what to do. I believe there's really, and we'll look at them, two things you can do to get what is true to become a reality in your life, whatever it is. And where that prayer becomes a reality to you, not just a truth in the Bible, where you get answers to your prayers for real. For real. If it was all up to God, hear me, then God favors some people over others. Let me say that again. If it's all up to God, and then you see something good happen in one person's life, 
and then something bad happens over here, and then, and then you say, well, God sure loves them, but he guess I don't know why he favored them, but didn't favor them. If it's all up to that kind of thinking, then God favors some people over others. Boy, that would be a tough God to serve. But that's not the God we see in the Bible. Though some people have portrayed him that way. You with me? Turn to Joshua, the first chapter. This is a familiar verse, but it fits. How can I get what is true to become a reality in my life as a believer? How can these things become real for me? Or how can they become real for you? This is, to me, not the only verse, but a tremendous verse that would help anybody who's a Christian. If they would put this into practice, what is true could become a reality to them. I mean, your days of being weak as a believer could be over. Your days as a believer not getting answers to prayer, over. You living under a cloud of guilt or feeling inferior, over. Notice this. Joshua 1.8, it says this. Now Moses is about to go on, or has gone on, and Joshua is now this new leader, and uh, before they didn't succeed, but it was God's intention that the people succeed. And so he was talking here, and this is not the only place these types of things are written. They were written to the general population in Psalm 1, but here he's talking to Joshua, but says the same thing, but this is applicable for any believer. Anybody, for that matter, who will take these truths and do what's said. Notice this in verse one or verse 8 of the first chapter. So Joshua is commanded to do this. He said, this book of the law shall not... So he said, this book of the law. When he talks about the book of the law, he's talking about the Scriptures. So he's putting a heavy value on the Bible, so to speak, or the Scriptures. He's making them the cornerstone of life and what is going to be his success or failure. He said, this book of the law, this book of the law, so he's starting out here, shall not depart from your mouth. It's interesting, Jesus used words like this when he talked about, he said, if my word abides in you, then you could speak and pray and you would get answers if you would do certain things. Here it's very similar. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Where does the Bible need to be? In your mouth. Somebody said, are you serious? Like, do you just like, 
like this big old thing, like you just carry it around like this? No, he doesn't mean like you carry it around or get a pocket version and put it in your mouth. You know, somebody said, well, you just can't believe the Bible. You know, you, just, you don't know if it's literal or not. Well, come on, lamo. You ain't going to walk around with the Bible in your mouth all day long. Well, I'm just acting on the word. You with me? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. What does the word meditate mean? Well, that doesn't mean like the world term, like, you know, you get all bent up, you know, sit Indian style and hold your thumb to your fingers and go, oh, you know. Now, the Bible term of meditation is completely different. It means to, to mutter, like, you know, when we talk about muttering, we're talking about just saying under your breath, like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, to mutter, to, you know, it's, I say it this way, it's kind of the opposite of what worry is. If somebody worries enough and you get close to them, have you ever heard them and you go, what are you saying? Like, oh, nothing, nothing. They're muttering. What are they doing? They're deeply thinking on the problem, and it's starting to dribble out of their mouth. You ever come to a sink and tried to turn the thing off and went, man, thing's not going off. It's just dribbling. Because it's not just the handle. It's something beyond the handle that's causing the problem. There might be a little washer in there that needs to be fixed. And some things dribble out of people's mouth and they think, well, I'm trying to get a handle on this. It goes deeper than that. It goes on what people ponder deeply about. And he said, you shall meditate in it day and night. In other words, you could say it this way. You got to, what worry is, you got to do that with the word. Day and and night. Somebody said, I'm too busy. Then you're too busy for the results. If you're too busy, you're too busy to get these results in. Let me say that another way. If you're too busy, you're too busy to get these results. How many people want the results? But, you know, I'm busy. No, you just have too much in your life. If you want the results, then you have to get rid of the idea that I can't do this. Because you can. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to to all that is written therein, or in it. How do you become a practicer of the Bible? By just using your willpower? No, by meditating. He said when you meditate, you will come to the place of being able to practice and act on the truths you see. But without meditating, you will struggle to carry out the things of the Bible. In other words, if you won't deeply ponder this, then you won't be able to carry out what he wants you to carry out in your life. And then it goes on to say that you may observe to do according to all that is written 
in it or in that book. For then you will make your way prosperous. Notice it doesn't say God will make you prosperous. God just bless them. Just prosper them. Now, is God involved in this? Absolutely. But He will always do His part. But He wants to make sure you do your part. Because God is never a failure. Failures are man-made. They're human design. That failure and all that was not in God's program. He didn't set up the garden so man would fail and do wrong, but he set it up in a way so that man would of his own will have a right to follow him. And if he didn't want to, he wouldn't have to, because otherwise it would have just been a puppet system. So he set it up so you could have a choice. But know this, God never fails on his end. Failure is always on our end. You with me? And he said, if you would do this, he said, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Can you have success without this? Yes, you can. But it's interesting to me that he uses the word good success. Because humanity and mankind looks at people and say they're successful, and they're successful, and they're successful, but there is a difference in God's eyes between people being successful and having good success. It's almost like a wording you would never use. Would you ever say good success? No, you just say they're successful. But God doesn't look like we look. He says good success. So there is a way to get to the top, you know, to climb the ladder, but there is a way to have good success because the Bible said this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. That would be good success. How many people have what they want, but they are not fulfilled? They have sorrow. They have inward turmoil. They don't have good success. Outwardly, by man's opinion, they have success, but they don't have good success because they have stuff, but the blessing of the Lord makes rich or full and adds no sorrow. You with me? But he said, right here, you would make your way prosperous. How would you make your way prosperous? If the word will stay in your mouth and you'll meditate on it day and night, you can become successful. Here is what I find interesting about these verses right here. If you notice here in verse 8, God is never mentioned once. But who wrote this? It's from God. He knew he would never be the problem. But we want to get the truths out of the Bible and get them to become a reality in our life. And so notice what he said here in verse 8. But this book of the law shall not depart from your. So that's you one time. 
your mouth, but you, that's you twice, shall meditate in it day and night, that you, that's you three times, may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you, that's you again, shall make your that's you again, way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. How many times has he mentioned you? Quite a few times. Because remember, God is not the issue, but he's given us something to have an answer. Let's close with these verses here in Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans 10. If we will take the Bible and begin as believers to meditate on the answers, not the problems of life, but begin to meditate on them, ponder them deeply. What if there are things where he said, if you believe, you will receive when you pray? The way you're going to get your heart fixed and established and strong in the Lord is by how you meditate, what you deeply ponder and what stays in your mouth. If you want to get strong in the Lord, you need to know the truth, but the truth has to get in your mouth. Guns are fascinating to me. And as we've gone on, you know, our designs of guns have changed and things like that. But, you know, if I had a handful of bullets, I could throw them to you, and they would not harm you. You know, I could toss them out here and say, here you go. And there's gunpowder in there. And there's a slug on the end or in there too. And the potential for providing for your family a deer to eat or whatever. You know, if you're a vegetarian, a head of lettuce, whatever. <laughs> but the, the potential is there. But that doesn't mean it's going to do anything. Even if you had it in a gun. You ever seen people on those dumb videos where they stare at a gun barrel and the thing goes off? I've seen those and thought, you idiot. Or they grab the gun and it shoots himself in the knee and they're like, oh, I shot myself. Didn't they know what the potential was there? The key is, is gun safety. Gun wisdom. These things are true, but just because nobody's hit the target doesn't mean the target can't be hit. Doesn't mean they can't become a reality. And so he told us how to load the gun. You know, it always fascinates me, like when you watch the old the red coats, you know, when they were here, and we won. If you didn't know, but always fascinates me how they fought. I used to think, you know, I mean, if I was going to fight you, I wouldn't go, okay, uh, oh, okay, your turn. And that's what they did. They just, okay, all right, and, you know, and then it's your turn. They just got a gun and they just stood in a big line and they went, Anybody know that that's how they fought? I used to think, there's a tree. Just get behind it, and then they could shoot, and you could stick your gun out, and you'd get them, and then, but don't have everybody shoot at once. Have half the guys reloading, and then they shoot, so they're 
laying a major blow to these people. I'm thinking, why are you doing that? But when they would reload, what they would do was they'd take their time and they'd dump, you know, that little thing, you know? I don't even know what it's called, that, yeah, that thing. And they pour the gunpowder in there, and then they pull out the little rod that's on those things and pound down the gunpowder. Then they put a little ball in there, and they pack it down, and they can fire again. And uh, they have to pack that thing down before they can fire. They just can't hold it out there. Go, here you go. See, our bullets are pre-packed today. You can, you know, load your own bullets. You can get your own. You can pack your own. You can make them how you want to. You know, you can do that. You know, I might not be using the right terms, but you can get your own slugs and put your own load in there so that your bullets fire hotter than others or, you know, don't butcher me for my understanding. I mean, I have a small understanding. I know how to shoot a gun, okay? But I know you can do this because I've been to sporting goods stores and saw where they did that. But back then, what they used to do is they'd have to load before they fired. They did. They couldn't go out there in a real battle and go, bang, 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 bang. You're dead. Hey, I got you. Fall down. No. And Christians are living life like that. They're not loading their gun before they fire, and they're firing, going bang, 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 bang. And then they're mad at God because their prayers didn't get answered, but they didn't do what he told them to do. They didn't load themselves. They didn't load their heart. They didn't get the word in them, and so the, they, there's a truth there, but it never becomes a reality because they try to say it or pray it, and it doesn't happen, but they've never meditated in the word to pack themselves with the gunpowder of God. You with me? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll ask what you will and it will be done for you. So you have to get them in you to be able to fire them. And he wants that for you. He wants you to get answers. But if you're meditating on the problem all day long, yeah, but it's a problem. Exactly. But meditating on the problem is not going to fix it. When I used to not do my homework, I would worry and not sleep every night. And I would just be up and it would take me out. I'd be laying in bed. Oh, I didn't do my homework. I didn't do my homework. I didn't do my homework. You know that meditating on that problem never changed it. I just tore me up inside day after day after day after day after day after day. You'd think I would have been smart enough just to do it and then you don't have to worry. But I'd just ponder it and ponder it and ponder it and ponder it. And, you know, it never changes anything. Jesus said that if you ponder on the problem or worry about the problem, you'll never change anything in Matthew 6. So right here in Romans 10, let's close. How do you get a truth to become a reality in your life? The first thing you need to do is begin to meditate if you're a believer on the truth. Accept what you're reading as fact. Accept it as a fact, as a truth, not a reality in your life, but accept it as a truth that is not real. 
right? When somebody gets saved, they have to accept the truth that Jesus is Lord, but it's not a reality to them until they believe it, accept it, and then declare Him as Lord, then the reality is theirs, right? But is it the truth long before they know the reality? Yes. Jesus existed before He came into the world. It was a truth, but the world recognized and saw the reality when He came. And so here in Romans 10, verse 9, it says, Let's read verse 8. But what does it say? He's talking about the Bible. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. Where does the Bible need to be? In your heart and in your mouth. Many times what is in people's heart is the problem. Because they've thought on it deeply so much. And it's gotten a stranglehold on them. And he said the word needs to be in two places in your mouth. In your mouth, two places, in your mouth and in your heart. Most people know how to put it in their mouth, but how do you get it in your heart? You meditate on it. And then he said this, verse 9. I'm sorry, we'll finish that. that if you, uh, he said, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Notice verse 9, that if you confess or declare with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will then be saved. After what? You believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth. You know that's how all the things of God work. That's how answers to prayer come. You got to believe it in your heart first, then you got to declare it with your mouth. If you want your faith to grow as a believer, begin to meditate on the truths. If you deal with problems and you're overcome by an area of sin, begin to meditate. Begin to ponder deeply under your own breath. Thank you, Jesus. You I, And picture it. I see you rose from the dead. You conquered all sin. You defeated all sin. And meditate on his word. Meditate on it day and night. Then let me say this. Then begin to open your mouth and say, I believe you destroyed sin. You destroyed sin for me. You did it for everybody, but you did it for me. And those things that are true will then become a reality in your life. If you will do this on a regular basis, your faith will grow. Paul wrote to a church in the Bible by the inspiration of God, and he said, your faith grows exceeding. He talked about their exceeding, growing faith. So you could be a Christian, but you also need to have growing faith. You have muscles, you just need them to grow. As a Christian, you want your faith to grow.